This is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life Class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church in Greenville. And uh, our uh, lively class is all wound up, and I had to quiet them down so that yeah. we could begin this class. Let's and go. we are on Chapter 5 of Luke, and we are going to continue. Yay, yes, I can see they're all excited. Oh, my word, Lord, help me get through this. Okay, so uh, Christ at to, up to this point has been preaching in synagogues. It's the very beginning of his ministry. And in chapter 5, his ministry takes a significant turn. And um, it, he starts to preach outdoors and Pharisees start to come out to him as he's preaching outdoors and questioning him. So this is the kind of the turning point where he gets the attention of the established uh, authorities in religion and they start uh, kind of policing him. He hasn't become their public enemy number one yet, but they're making sure that he's not a problem. And Instead of teaching in synagogues, which is kind of a town hall kind of situation, uh, they're usually made for about 10 families, which I would think they would maybe house 50, 60 people at best. Uh, well, he's got bigger crowds than that, and he's going outside and more people. You know, he's got larger crowds, which causes kind of a threat to the, the, the religious people, and they want to make sure that he's preaching what they want him to preach and so forth. So we're getting to that point. So, chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding uh, around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, and he said to Simon, uh, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Uh, when Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to shore and left everything and followed him. Okay. That's a lot of things there he is. Yeah, it's a big section. Uh, would you like to scoot up a little closer? Nathan will be happy to move over and let you move <laughs> oh, up to the, the way, table, Judy. Oh, by the way, here on the internet. Yes, Judy has now entered internet. So yeah, be careful so. what you say. Enter the chat room. They're, they're, they're lively today, sweetie. Be, be forewarned. <laughs> and heck, and she loves us, too. Does she? <laughs> she even loves Nathan. Even she agrees Nathan. Does she? Is he no. your best friend, Kevin? Uh -oh. Okay, uh, Lake Genesaret. <laughs> Lake Genesaret is another name for Lake Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. This is a very ancient land. 
and lots of peoples have lived in this land over the years. And this big body of water have, has, has collected a whole variety of cultural names over the years. And it's had numerous communities built up around its shores because it's big. And uh, some, some cities have risen and fallen and some of those cities have ended up having two names because there was one city one century and then it died out for a century and then it came back again and they gave it another name. But some people kept the old name because they heard about it and you know, it's like that. So it can get a little confusing. Uh, the lake is 13 miles long, it's eight miles wide. I can't think of a, a, a lake in Texas that's eight miles wide. Usually I can see the shore on the other side in about every lake I've ever been to. Uh, they do wander around for 13 miles. It's more of a river swamp here than anything else. But uh, this is a big body of water. You can't see the opposing side because it's eight miles. You know, so that's why they call it a sea because you see the horizon when you, when you look across it. It is 680 feet below sea level. So there's a mountain range in between uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, and the lake is super, super low, kind of like, I don't know, Lake Pontchartrain in New Orleans, you know, it's kind of right. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Except the levees are really, really big. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> right. So uh, if God get, you know, it, it, by the way, there's no chance of this happening because there's no faults there, I looked. But if there was a big, huge earthquake, that ruined that mountain range and uh, the Mediterranean would like basically destroy the Middle East. You could flood the whole Middle East with one earthquake, I think, because it's so low, you know. It, however, because it's so low, it affects the weather. Beachfront property? Yes, yeah. funny. Uh, <laughs> it, it affects the weather. Uh, the, it, it tends to be a lot more tropical. The air is a lot more st uh, still. It tends to be warmer. It's actually better for growth. And Galilee is kind of known as the breadbasket of, uh, of Israel because that's where all the big farming takes place. And it's because it's, it's well watered and the temperature is real stable because it's down in this little hole. Yeah. Uh, now, when they do get a storm, it's a booger, you know, but for, for kind of the same reasons that it's protected. So it, it, it kind of, instead of having a series of lighter storms, they have one big one every year it's or so. Sort of Sets and gets yeah. worse and worse. And worse. Yeah. I could not explain to you the physics, but, but that, that's kind of the story there. Uh, so we have this big fertile area around a really large body of water. So a number of communities have grown up around it and it's still popping up and down. It's still well populated now. Uh, in Jesus's day, there were, what did I find? Nine communities? I think it was nine. Nine townships all on the shores, and none of those townships had anything less than 1,500 people, uh, 1,000 people, which is a pretty large community for the Middle East in, you know, 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Would well, that be like, be like a county? Or, yeah, or these were kind of cities. They're, 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 they're not, they're, they're small cities. Small cities. Yeah. Um, Greenville has 32,000 people in it, so it's like half Greenville. All of those little towns around the galley are half the size of Greenville. So if you counted them all up, that would be four Greenvilles all yeah, stacked up. Does that make sense? More yeah. Closer there you together. Are they more closer together? I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Okay. I would like my notes, please. 
I don't have notes today because I, I did my studying, but I had to pick somebody up by nine o'clock and I had to stop. So I have my notes and I didn't make copies for everybody else because that takes like 20 minutes and I have to copy both sides and then I have to trim them all out. You really don't know the work that I put into this class. I'll don't worry. I, you do a lot of work. I, I appreciate that. Uh, you could put those on like a sheet that's like 11 and a half. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You wouldn't have to trim it out and do all that extra work. Do not question the artist. No, I'm just saying, have that printed in about five minutes, maybe. You don't get notes, okay? All right. I mean, we're not getting notes anyways. Is he volunteering? I could do that. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not that organized, sorry. Uh, so, Jesus is walking around Lake Gennesaret, otherwise known as Lake Galilee, in one of these communities. And by the way, that community has to be Capernaum because that's where Peter is from and that's where his fishing business was. So, so you know, if he's going to get in a Peter's boat, uh, I'm pretty sure he was in... Capernaum. Yeah. So, so he's preaching, and these people are pressing in on him. We can assume. I'm reading more into Luke's thing here, and um, he uh, retreats into a fisherman's boat, who takes him out, and he delivers his message from the boat. Now, I'm pretty sure this is not the first time that Simon had met Jesus. You don't walk up to a random fisherman and go, excuse me, I know you've been working all night long and you're cleaning your nets now and you're about to go home and go to bed because that's how they did it. They were night people. And, uh, and uh, you take me out of this boat so I can preach for two hours from your boat offshore. Yeah. That'd be okay, wouldn't it? What would you say? And, you know, I'll I'm, say I'm, I'm, you're crazy, man. Go yeah. away from me. <laughs> yeah, I'll say, I'm tired. Leave me alone. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. I just want to go home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd be like, pay me for my time and my effort, man. <laughs> I feel like that's a reasonable way to make up. Well, Peter doesn't do any of that. Uh, he, there's, no, there's no recording of any resistance whatsoever. And uh, so Peter already knows Christ, and I assume is already a follower. And yes, he's coming in from work, but he knows this guy, and he may well have been listening to a sermon on the edge of the, the thing anyway. You know, So finish the day, come in, have a nice sermon. That sounds fun. Uh, so... He gets in and, and he, he takes him out. And so, I guess to reward Simon Peter or to teach him a lesson, he says, go out and drop your nets. I, then he just says, okay. He's been fishing all night long. They only, you know, that's when you catch the schools close to the top because when it gets hot, they go down to the bottom of the lake. And so they, uh, you know, he's not going to see, I assume they're seeing nets, which come along the top, you know, and not drag the bottom. Uh, and so you don't do that during the day. There's no schools of fish up top at that time. He knows where the fish are. He's a professional fisherman. Oh, my goodness. He's done. He just, he just cleaned his nets, and he, it's all boxed up. He's batting down the hatches. He's ready to go to bed. He's been up all night. The man's tired. And he says, oh, 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 go out a little further. Let's play with your nets and throw your fish in. Let's see if we can catch some fish. I like being in a boat. He talks like a character from The Simpsons. Uh, Sounds wow. like it. Have you ever thought about being a voice actor? <laughs> well, obviously that's not 
not what happened. No. Right? Yeah. But I can understand that reaction if he weren't already Christ's disciple. Yeah. That's probably did happen. You think it did happen and Luke didn't record it? Okay. I'm talking about uh, the assignment for you to question God. Yeah, I think he questioned God a lot, actually. Yeah. However, he goes, he's, you know, people are staring at him, I guess. You know, all that crowd of people staring at him, and he has to, you know, keep, keep his reputation up and be nice to the preacher. So. He rose, yeah, rolling my eyes inside. In, inside, inside, yeah. So what does Carpenter know about this? Exactly. Stone, I think he was a stonemason. Anyway, uh, so we get out, and uh, he throws the uh, nets over, and he catches a massive amount of fish. Uh, to the point that he can't get them in the boat. Yeah. I question that part because if you have a boat, shouldn't you have a net that matches the size of your boat? It seems well, like um, you would have a boat big yeah. enough to hold the net. Because you know, my, my I have a cousin who's a fisherman, and I've been out with him. He's a shrimper, and uh, you don't carry a net too big for your boat because that would be be weird. You know, yeah, but not it very says efficient. That the fish were they were too big for the net. Oh, so they were big fish. Okay. The net was about to break. Is that where we are, verse? Yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, that's where we are. Yeah, he couldn't get them into the boat. So he calls in James and John, who were the partners slash employees who that were in the other boat, and they go out and they help him bring in this massive load of fish that was, you know, made their week. Yeah, like I can imagine them having big bucks. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, technically, dollars don't exist. Just like. Yeah, well, we get the picture. Yeah, yeah. anyway, you get it. Out of Euros. Euros. So, uh, yeah, a little, little early. Uh, so Simon Peter recognizes that this is a miracle, and I think that's the important point here. Christ is revealing himself to Peter. And uh, so Peter falls at his knees and says, I am a sinful man. He, 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 he recognizes Christ very early on as being the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Christ, the guy they're looking for, you know? Yeah. And so this is real early. I mean, he denies him later, but he's like the first person to kind of acknowledge this. So that's, that's kind of important too. And so um, he says, you know, you need to uh, uh, leave. And, and uh, Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. And Simon abandons his boats leaves everything and follows him. So this is a transitional point too. Uh, he has just abandoned his fishing business and he's got people working with him on this city. This is not a small operation. He's got family to support. He's got a house big enough to host Christ and all of his followers. So he's not a poor man. I think this is an ongoing functional business. Do you think that he actually left the fish too? No. Yeah. I mean, I would. <laughs> probably. Would you leave Christ's gift on the shore? No, I would. He might have gave them to somebody. The, the men brought their boats to the shore. They left everything and yeah. followed Jesus. I interpret that to be kind of poetically yeah, speaking. Exactly. Poetically speaking. Uh, I, I, I think they brought in that the, they stopped their business and he became a full-time apostle at this point. It's basically rather leaving than your previous just a, uh, right. life behind. Just a disciple. He became a full-time follower of Jesus Christ and yeah. not a full-time fisherman. Yeah. 
at that point. And so that's when these four guys, Have at least, start following. They're the first apostles. Huh? Like Kate Kevin, the, the DVD of Blu-ray. Did we watch The Chosen? I watched the first half of the first episode of The Chosen, and I look at it uh, sitting in my theater, and I feel guilty occasionally. Does that help? <laughs> as long as you can shame him. Uh, I, I, have, I have not watched The Chosen yet, but surely you have a point that brought that point up. Well, because it shows this scene basically in, uh, when Peter leaves, and basically um, they narrate it as in, and yes, it's a paraphrase, it's not a, a translation at all, um, but it's a really well done paraphrase. But they show Peter basically in debt, basically. Um, and he's trying to do one last, he's fishing on the, the Sabbath. It's <clears throat> kind of illegal, so he's trying to uh, get that one last catch and try to pay off his debt. So that's how he passes off. Ta that passes, yes, taxes. So does it show that he sells the fish or that he, let, he follows Jesus? <laughs> he follows Jesus, but um, his worker words out there, we'll take care of you, go, go. Basically. I can just, I, I mean, I don't know, and I think I'm making a big point about nothing at this point, but I can just see people, have you ever seen these app, these things on TV where these trucks have a lot of money in it or whatever, and it goes flying out, and people are just oh. grabbing all the money yeah. trying to get it. Oh, I can yeah. just see people grabbing this fish because Stealing his fish? Well, I mean, it was there. It's like, Mom, yeah. God, grab yeah, they took all, kids, Yeah, you know? they took off and left them. People would come up and I guess we can't say if we're really we sure what. We don't know. I mean, yeah. Simon probably gave it away and then after that just left, perhaps. I don't yeah, know. Did they ever reference him using that same boat again or did he leave that specific He one went back to fishing. Yeah, I think there so were people that worked for him. I think he had a business. Uh -huh. If you're going to rob someone's boat for the fish, take He turned it over to little brother and cousin Larry, and they, they ran the business <laughs> while he went off to cousin Larry. I think he just made <laughs> an excellent point. Might have been the same What? Nathan made an excellent point? Yes. He oh, said I'm sorry. Please repeat. If they were going to rob the fish, they would have taken the boat, too. Good, oh, good point. Yeah. yeah, good yeah, point. yeah, yeah they yeah, went yeah, across the lake, you know, several times to, you yeah. know, where Jesus walked on the water and you know, he was asleep, and then he went out and preached on the boat, so it was probably, yeah. yeah. There you go, Nathan. You earned a Ph.D. Wow, that was very easy. I didn't do heart surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that all my doctors are stupid? <laughs> okay, where were we? Are we done with the fish now? <laughs> yeah, now, now, okay, yeah. Okay, because I don't want to rush you. <laughs> I don't want to have a fishy conversation. Verse 12. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Jesus command, Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
lonely places. That's what I want. So, so Jesus is traveling. He is not staying in Capernaum. And he goes to one of the towns, we assume still on the Sea of Galilee, one of those nine communities. And there he comes across a man with leprosy. What do we know of leprosy? It's some type of skin disease. It's uh, a little more complicated yeah, than that. It's it was, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, these bumps or something. I, I did do my homework here. Um, today, it's generally known as Hansen's disease, but, but what they call leprosy is, yeah. is just kind of been renamed. And it's a little more defined. It's uh, actually caused by a bacterial infection. Uh, they, it, it is contagious, but not as virulently contagious as the ancient world thought it was. Uh, if you have a leper living in your house and you are there all the time and you're serving them and you're drinking out of the same cup and you're living in very close quarters, it's very possible for you to catch leprosy from a leper. Uh, it's probably passed through body fluids, but honestly, they're not sure because it's not, it's not even as, as virulent as the flu. But when you what get it- What about COVID? What about specifically- is it, is it not as virulent as COVID? It is not as virulent as COVID. It's not as virulent as COVID? Now what about- As far as how it spreads. So, uh, but but at the t but when you get it, it's there's no cure, you know. And, and and I think now they have treatments, and it's kind of like uh, they can manage your 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 infection, and you can have a full life. It's like Magic Johnson or whatever. In HIV, yeah. similar, yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but but at the time they did not. Magic Johnson. I followed that train of thought. I just want everybody to notice that I followed his train of thought. <coughs> okay. So, Hansen's disease, a bacterial infection. Uh, the initial symptoms are a discolored patch of skin and an associated numbness. So you'll have little dark spots on your skin that where you have no feeling whatsoever because essentially it's a nerve disease and the nerves that are feeding mostly your skin die off and you have little dead spots. And so it's, you have to deal with, with numbness. Uh, there's, there's also growths on the skin uh, there can be thick, heavy, leather-like patches that develop on the skin. It's kind of a skin-related disease, but not entirely. Uh, painful ulcers on your feet. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me. Painless ulcers on your feet. So you'll have an ulcer where the skin breaks, but you don't actually feel it. And then you're walking around in your thin little ancient sandals, and you do even more damage to your feet because you don't feel the damage that's happening. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so as a result, uh, it becomes more um, uh, susceptible to even further infections. Like diabetes. Yeah. It, it's, it's very similar to diabetes in that regard, at least. But uh, you, because they don't feel anything, you can get more infections, and you can get gangrene, and you can get all the other bacteria. And so pretty soon, your, your foot's rotting off, and you go, oh, I just noticed. You know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 yeah. And yes, my father had uh, type 1 diabetes and lived far longer than people with type 1 diabetes are ever supposed to. And he got into a category of disease that most doctors found fascinating. And, uh, you know, there's like, there's like a moderate and then a critical level. He got to fragile level. He, he was beyond, which, which is just a strange 
definition. And people would say he's a fragile diabetic, and doctors would go, oh, I could write a paper on that. You know, uh, they, they thought he was an interesting patient because. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like a mad scientist. Well, yeah. He died without either. Both legs gone, Pat? One leg. Uh, he, he, one leg had to be, he uh, was, couldn't feel his feet, couldn't feel his hands. Uh, he was working in the garden, and he, he kind of learned how to walk without feeling his feet hit the ground. And so he had this weird gait, and he would slap his foot down, and, and the slap would make him know that he, he had made connection. And then he would, would swing his other foot around and slap it down, and he kind of stomped. And if he stomps, he knows that he's got good good connection with the ground because he can't feel it. And then he would rotate his weight. And how long did he have to live like this, though? Like that sounds like I would rather die. You, that's harsh. He was doing fine at that point. Uh, uh, no, uh, I haven't finished my sad story about my dad. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So he was stomping around his garden where we had uh, re-roofed a shed. And when we re-roofed the shed, we pulled, uh, it, it was held on with, tin, with uh, tin, and there are these tin tacks that have these big wide heads on them and spikes yeah. on them. Well, there was a tin tack in the ground, slaps his foot down, it goes through his boot into his foot. And then he walked around in that for nine more hours before he realized that he was done. And uh, my mom comes home from uh, school and sees these bloody footprints coming down from the, the garden into the house. And she follows them into the den where his bloody boot was up on you know, the ottoman and he's eating ice cream watching TV. Uh, and so she has to pull the, uh, the, 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 the nail completely out of the boot to get the boot off because it attacked his foot into his shoe. And at that point, he already had gangrene in it because he had spent, like, he had this rusty, you know, nail basically working his foot for nine hours. And uh, he, he fought this wound, it wouldn't heal. And this is similar to leprosy too. Wounds heal much slower than normal. Even if they're tending it, they, 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 there are issues. And he spent probably, oh my goodness, five, four years, four years, trying to get this wound to heal. And uh, they cut off a couple of toes at one point, and then they, they kept trying to repeat, trying different treatments. And he would wrap it up, and he had these, you know, he had tennis shoes, and he adapted to them. And he, as long as he could kind of keep stomping around, he was okay. Didn't feel anything. Wasn't hurting him none, you know. So his attitude was, you know, don't want to lose a leg because I can't walk. So it doesn't hurt me none. It's fine. So you know he's you know, he's, got, he's got temperature in his foot all the time. I mean he's got a huge bacterial infection for four years, and he's fine. My dad, you know. I, I respect your father's determination, but that sounds like the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Dude. It's pretty gross. It, it, yeah, it kind of is. He 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 gave me some points to contemplate. Yeah. Uh, and it's similar to leprosy. It is. Uh, I have noticed that connection before. And as he aged, the nerves degenerated so that uh, higher and higher up on his arms and his legs, he lost his feeling. Now with leprosy, it kind of starts at the skin and it goes everywhere and you start losing sensation all over. And uh, they eventually go blind because it's a surface area, you know, and uh, eyes are often quick to go. And of course they have these infections and they'll lose a limb. And the way you deal with a gangrenous limb is to cut it off, and that's how they did it then. They'd cut it off and then cauterize it. 
And so uh, lepers were kind of known for not having limbs and having prosthetics How and they being blind, uh, a hot shovel. Okay. How old was your dad when he died? He was 100 years old. No, yeah. uh, he was in his 80s. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a pretty long hey. life. Yeah, he, he did. Well, this has nothing to do with the lesson, but I'll just say this. The reason that his dad lived so long is that his mother took yep. immaculate care of him. She was a trooper. He would have died many years ago, but she was on top of it constantly. So. Gave us medicine and monitors blood every 15 minutes. She was, she was intense. Every 15 minutes? To the point that it was really annoying, but dang, it kept him alive, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. She, she was a hard worker, is, was, is. She's still alive. She's still alive? I, I said that like worker. she wasn't, and is, anyway. Um, okay, I'm kind of digressing here. Leprosy has all of that. Your, your hair falls out, eyebrows and lashes fall out, uh, lumps on face and earlobes. Earlobes are weird. That's, that's something that's part of it, you know. And eventually, it works its way to your internal organs, but by that time, half of you is rotted away anyway. And then and once you're, you're anything, yeah, right? not a thing, and uh, your uh, your kidneys kind of go, and w once it starts getting into your kidneys, it probably never makes it to your heart because you're dead by the time it gets there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's kind of what this is. Now, people are terrified by this disease. You see how horrible this is. And if somebody that has this disease walks in the room, you don't want it. Even if they're one of your loved ones. You don't want it, you know? And so in Leviticus, back in Moses' day, they laid out, or God laid out, a series of how to, plan how to deal with lepers, and they are expelled from the community. They were to live outside the camp. Uh, they, they can't live inside the city once they get into Jerusalem. Uh, and so uh, they have to wear certain kinds of clothing so that they can be seen from a distance. There was a leper's cloak uh, and you had to shout unclean in Hebrew uh, ahead of you so that people will know that you're a leper and can step around you. It is your responsibility to make sure that no one ever comes near you, you know? Uh, you could not go to temple, and as a result, you were, you know, kind of a, a moral outcast. Oh, wait, let's go there. It doesn't come out here, but there is an uh, ancient... Hebrew understanding that illness is a result of sin. God is punishing you for your sins if you have a disease. So when a rabbi comes across a diseased person, this isn't the ill, this is the sinful. And so that you deserve what you get. That's still preaching sunburns and that. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Uh, and, so, and so lepers being the worst of the diseased, were also, obviously, the most sinful people in the city and therefore should be shunned because they're such reprobates. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, we have these lepers and they are outcasts for both moral and physical reasons and there are all these laws that separate them and if you live in this community, there is a huge psychological toll that that takes Everybody's telling you that you are the scum of off their shoes. And eventually, if everybody tells you that, eventually you're going to start listening. 
you know? And so they see themselves as the scum off everybody's shoes. They see themselves as sinful and deprived and decrepit and going to hell and ultimately damned, you know? And so this leper comes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This guy has figured out who Jesus is. He's been listening from a distance on Lake Genesaret, wearing his little cloak, hiding up in the trees. Make, I guess the hearing still works. And uh, he, he manages to get close enough to him. He hides on the street where he has to walk past him. And he says, if you're willing, you can, you can do this. He shows his faith. And Christ says, I'm willing. And then, he does, and then he does something that no one, no good Jew would ever do, and he touched a leper. And if there was a rabbi standing behind, the rabbi would go, ah! yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> it, I mean, it's, I'm sure there's a law in there somewhere about touching a leper. <clears throat> he could be held accountable for it. Yeah. So he says, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And then he does something weird. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Uh, he just performed this miracle. He just healed a leper that never happens. There is no cure for leprosy. Bang, he's clean. My Bible says immediately, yep. which is what you just said. Bang. Immediately. It must have been something to see. It was just gone. And so he has a sense of feeling. Whatever injuries he had are gone. Uh, if he was missing fingers, they're back. He's yeah. healed. So he goes, Christ says, don't go tell everybody I just healed you from leprosy. I want you to go to the temple and reinstate your citizenship. Because right now he's on the leper list. Yeah. He has picked up a leper cloak from the temple so that he's in this category. He can't work. He's not allowed to work because he's a leper. He can't live in town because he's a leper. He can't go visit his family because he's a leper. Or he can't uh, live a life in general. Because he's a leper? Mm -hmm. Well, he needs to fix that. Now the leprosy's gone, he has to reach this new classification. So what he's going to do is he's going to go to the temple. He'll pay a tax. He pays the fee. And they process his paperwork and they make him a citizen. You know, and they, they, yeah, he's got to get the stamp on his certificate, whatever the law was then, so that he can go back to being a person, which means that a priest has to examine him to see if he has leprosy. So he has to go to an official priest. Wouldn't you love to be the priest that has that job? Anyway, uh, to, to, to look for leprosy, because the guy that's in charge of issuing leper cloaks has to look at him and, and prove that he's not a leper. And so he does that, and he, and he goes through the reverse process and becomes legally a Jewish citizen again. What's so funny? But as long as not the same priest that does the circumcision all day long. Okay, that's just wrong. Stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> the circumcision. This is, this is, this is, this is a PG room, and you shall, you shall keep it that way. You, you joked yeah. about that a while back. <laughs> Okay. Because, well, I'll tell you what the commentary said. Because Christ's uh, miracles do not circumvent the law. 
we need to stay under the authority of the government in which we are in, even when we disagree with that government. Uh, we are to live as peaceful people in the country in which we are in and, and depend upon God. And so he, he, there, there were law, they, since this guy had been healed, there, he, he now had legal responsibilities that he had to go through. He can't just follow Jesus and praise Jesus. That, that would be much more romantic in our view of things. That's how we would, if I were telling this story, that's the way I would tell, that's what I would do with him. But no, he has to go take care of his responsibilities now. You know, his, his legal status has changed and he has to go deal with it. And uh, Christ doesn't absolve us of dealing with the authorities of our age, which means pay your taxes, even when they're way, way, way too much, Ron. Yes, Kenny. One of the reasons, isn't it one of the reasons um, I heard one commentary said that only the Messiah could heal leprosy? And one of the reasons why he says not to tell him. Uh, I think I might have. I didn't see that. It's not in scripture, but it's like there's a list of miracles that only the Messiah can do. And leprosy is one of healing, leprosy is one of them. Well, if it's not in the actual Bible, where did people pull that from? Did someone uh, like, I've seen it, I've read it, and I've seen videos on it, but I don't know. Uh, they have some kind of sources? For uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like, okay, Kenny, put a pin in it and tell me next week. Okay. Can you go find where that came from? Because I'm very interested in that, too, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I have a problem with it. I really do. We'll, we'll argue. I, I think that, well. We're arguing about it next week. Find your reference. <laughs> All right, so everyone listening at home, get ready for the debate podcast. Okay, next week, next week. Okay, uh, I'm never going to make it. Okay, so. No, no, no. I messed up my notes. I'm glad I didn't give you this because this is all confused. Okay, um, let's go to. I want to read the, the paralytic, which is the next section, and we'll stop it there because I have a few comments. Uh, verse 17. One day, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come to from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Okay, there's a whole consortium of big brass Pharisees walking up on uh -huh. Jesus. This is not good. They're all dressed the same, wearing their little black hats. This is, this is scary. I've walked into this room before. This is not fun. Are you talking about fundamentalists? Another story. Um, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Then when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are you're healed. No way. He didn't say that. He said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Okay. He can't walk. Can't use his arms. They lower him in through the ceiling on a blanket. And Jesus looks at this paralytic lying on the floor in a pile and says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Doesn't that seem a little weird? Yeah. Okay, moving on. 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins of God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk and that you may know that the Son of God has authority in earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them and then screamed real loud. Took what, I didn't do that, uh, took what uh, he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So the Pharisees said, ah, we got you finally. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it doesn't say where this took place, but it is probably traditionally Simon Peter's home where Christ has met before. It's where Christ probably slept when he was in Capernaum. It was the headquarters of the burgeoning Christian movement. Evidently, Peter had a big house, and everybody was taking advantage of it. Uh, so he's teaching in the big house. And these houses weren't huge, by the way. I, I've been through a few outlines of medieval homes and they're very very tight and have small rooms because they they have to be heated with fire and so you you want a small room that can be easily heated huh uh smaller like a fourth the size of this room yeah a little bedroom just enough for like a, a cot basically and a table and oh the house might be the size of this room yeah now peter had something bigger than that because they were able to gather now, I don't know if they're, if he's outside in an open area with a covering over the top, like an awning, something like that. Now, it was, the way they constructed it is they would build these houses kind of in, with, with, with these clay blocks, kind of a cinder block system, similar to the way they build houses in Mexico now. But when they get to the ceiling, instead of putting a, uh, a uh, arched roof on it, or, or whatever that's called, um, they, they put a straight beam across, and uh, they were fairly tightly close together, and then they would fill in in between those beams with a uh, daub, which is clay, and then they would lay tiles on top of that, and that would make it watertight, so that when it rained, it would have a grade of at least five degrees or a little more, and, and the water would run off the top. But you could go up onto the top of the roof, the, 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 it was like a little patio, on top of your house yeah. and usually they would leave stairs that you go up there yeah. and they it, it was kind of a little porch and if it was cool in the evenings uh they you know there's during the summer they'd go sleep on the roof and that was more comfortable than sleeping in the bed and in the house in the winter so that's kind of the structure now it was common when somebody passed away to uh treat their body in the house and then what they would do is lay them out kind of on a stretcher. And because houses were often very, very small and the, the doors are very, very tight, it's actually kind of hard to get him out of the, the house in the box. Sometimes they would construct kind of a coffin box type thing there in the house because there's a wake and he has to be there 24 hours. And so they, they'll, they'll do whatever preparations. And so to remove him, they... They knock a hole in the ceiling. They pull some of that daub out, and they pull him out in between the rafters. 
And that was a common practice. Isn't that what they do to morbidly obese people now? <laughs> like, no, I'm not joking. Thanks for that thought. Uh, yes. Some, you do what you have to do. I did not know this. This is yeah. So, so the idea of somebody knocking a hole in the roof is not a foreign one to the medieval idea. It was kind of rude to break into somebody's ceiling, but the idea of knocking a hole in the ceiling and repairing it is not outlandish, you know? So I've always kind of thought, you know, cause I'm always picturing somebody hacking their way through my uh, asphalt shingles and then <laughs> dropping into to my attic, which, which just has beams and uh, sheetrock, where you have to be very careful where you stand or you fall yeah. through, and uh, lowering him through that. That's always been the picture I've had as a kid. That's really not quite what's going on. I would be rather offended if one of you knocked a hole in my roof because you know, that, that, you don't just yeah. fix that. You, yeah, that that, that cost me some bucks to fix yeah. that. If we lower a sick guy in there with you. Even worse. Even I especially don't want sick people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are we out of time? Yeah. Everybody's standing up yeah. like they're leaving. And I, I still have points to make. Oh, my word. My uh, class on. is abandoning me. Hold on to your I'm just standing up. Okay. Christ forgives his sins. That's the yeah. point. Uh -huh. And then, it of is. course. Because, as I said, there is a, a correlation between uh, disease and illness and sinfulness. If this yeah. guy was a paraplegic in the ancient Hebrew mind, then he was a hopeless sinner, and God is punishing yeah. him for whatever those sins were that we don't know. And so, since I can look at a man and not know what he has done, uh, that's not good. But if I see you're sick, now I know who did something bad. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so here we have this. He's obviously a you know a, a reprobate sinner, or he wouldn't be in this shape. And so they lower him down, and and he thinks he's a reprobate sinner because same same thing I said about the lepers. And so he's been begging, probably. And so he thinks he's the scum of the earth. And Christ has to, you know, lift up his spirit and make him, you know, believe. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. That's, you know, his, his spiritual state is more important to Christ than his physical. And he heals him. So the man stands up, takes his bed and walks away. And what are the Pharisees going to say? You can't heal a man's sins. That's not right. You're you're not God. Except that except that Jesus is God. Except that the paraplegic has picked up his bed and is standing behind him and is walking out the door. The paraplegic, by the Pharisees' own argument, is proof that God heals sins or forgives sins, and so that's why he forgives his sin. It's it's is partly, I think, to heal the man's soul. I mean, that's first of all. But, but secondly, it's to make this point to the Pharisees who are trying to trap him. And so it really doesn't come out that you know Christ's proof for his ability to heal sins is the paraplegic heal. And so they really can't attack him because if they say you can't heal sins, that's blasphemy, how do you explain the fact that he's standing? There's your proof. He doesn't have to say anything. He's standing. 
And so, and that's and that's kind of my point. Um, I don't recall another time in the Bible where, where Jesus forgives someone's sins without them asking for forgiveness. This this is different. Only on the cross. That's true. Oh, you're you're third now. Go and sin no more. Yeah, he's adopted. To the woman at the well. This just happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was wrong. Boy, that opens up a whole theological kettle of fish, doesn't it? (laughs) Perhaps another time. Okay, what was it you were going to look up again? I've already forgotten. I'm going to write it down so I can call you to the carpet next week. The the messianic miracles that, that only the Messiah can perform. You're not going to be here next week, are you? Uh, I'm scheduled off. Is it really only he can perform, or only they talk about him doing it, maybe? Only, basically, only the Messiah can perform. Let's see, one of them, um, Lazarus was one of them due to how dead, how long Lazarus was dead. Oh, sorry. Because it's possible the tradition that the spirit lingered yeah. around the body after so many days, and after that, they, it goes, and then. On the side, could call. So there's like a time limit of when someone's dead and God's going to arise them or something? Okay, Internet, we are wrapping things up. And uh, next week, we are going to look at uh, the calling of Matthew at verse 27. And we're going to argue with Kenny about messianic miracles. Looking forward to it. See you then. Bye.